Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What do we do here on Home and Home? We go to the home markets to figure out what in the world is going on. We'll go into Pittsburgh, to Dallas, to Kansas City, and Chicago to recap the Sunday shockers across the league what happened that's not supposed to basically everything that's not supposed to happen three home teams won football games this weekend the saints won without a touchdown the chiefs won without a touchdown pass from patrick mahomes tom brady stunk up the joint and the patriots won a tough road game the bears lost a quarterback and maybe improved OBJ got two catches for 20 yards, and the Browns put up 40 points in a very tough environment and took over first place. And a quarterback threw for 517 yards and a loss, and an opposing defenser may have been the best player on the field. Mind-blowing Sunday. But we start with what happened at halftime of the Patriots-Bills games. A couple of Bills fans got married at the halftime of the Bills-Pats game. Kyle Williams officiated. Jim Kelly gave away the bride. And welcome in Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross, give me a sporting event or an empty stadium where you would get married. Jeez. Uh, I, I don't, I, I really wouldn't want to do oh. either, to be honest with you. You that, don't have a that choice. That would not be. That would be my pre- that would not be my preference. Um, is it just me, or do I need to take my wife's feelings into consideration for this? Oh yeah, and whoever's paying for the wedding. Okay, in that case, then I would say we've got two options. One of which actually took place on Saturday, Princeton. Played at Bucknell. And by the way, Kevin Davidson, uh, Princeton's quarterback, set the Ivy League record seven touchdown passes. 150 years of Princeton football. First time with seven touchdown passes. My wife and I were disappointed that we couldn't go and take our daughters there. But if we did do it at a sporting event, she really loves her alma mater of Bucknell. But she really, really loves... Loves my alma mater of Princeton. Uh, she applied early there, didn't get in, and I think I think that's a big reason why she likes me. To be honest with you, I think she really <laughs> likes Princeton. So I think perhaps halftime of like a Princeton Bucknell game, since both of those schools mean a lot to us, that might be doable, and we can invite all my college friends, all her college friends, etc. The other possible option would be Beaver Stadium, Penn State. Uh, we both have an affinity uh, for Penn State, you know, growing up, going to games there. I think that probably more so than Lincoln Financial Field for the Eagles. I think maybe Beaver Stadium at Penn State would be cool. But it would not be her cup of tea. I can tell you right now, Dave, if I proposed to her, at a sporting event, she would hate that. 
Like if yeah. I proposed to her in public at all, she wouldn't want it. Like even if we did do it at one of these venues, she wouldn't want it to be when there's other people there. She would want to, like us to have rented out the venue. She's just not like that. Well, therein lies my answer. I would never get married at a sporting event, would never propose that one either, because I'm sure my wife would have said no. But if I were to marry at a stadium, I also included that. Coors Field, empty, just our friends and family. My father-in-law's the biggest Rockies fan on the planet. He's paying. Everybody's happy. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to just a stunning Stunning Sunday in the NFL. And there were a number of surprises. I named seven of them to start this program. And I have to start with what happened with the Los Angeles Rams defense. And conversely, the Tampa Bay Bucks. 95 points scored in this game. Almost 1,000 total yards. And yet two defensive players, probably the best two players on the football field. How in the world did Tampa put up 55 on the Rams and win despite 517 yards passing from Jared Goff. That's eighth best, eighth best in NFL history. Well, that was an insane game. Uh, insane. I don't think anyone expected that. Now, I, I thought that the Bucs had a chance to win, and I love the Bucs getting 10 points. But I didn't think it would be 55-40. to 40. It was stunning. It really was. And that was kind of one of my themes, Dave. From yeah. the whole weekend or from the whole day of NFL football is just the surprising quarterback play. In particular, in that game, that's about as well as Jameis Winston's played in a long, long time. Now, we did get the full Jameis Winston experience. He did have a horrific late pick six to Marcus Peters that actually gave the Rams a chance to get back and maybe even win the game, which was crazy, before Shaq Barrett sealed the deal again. He is off to an incredible start to his season. He's going to get an insane amount of money. But yeah, and what's especially surprising about it, Dave, is the Rams' defense had looked really solid on Sunday night in limiting Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb to only 13 points. That was on the road. To come back home and have Jameis Winston slice and dice him like that, to run the ball the way the Bucs did, it was stunning. But on some level, watching the Rams this year, it kind of felt like they were due for a loss, due mm -hmm. for a game like this, in the sense that they just they were winning, but they haven't been playing great. You combine the golf interceptions with a hot day for Winston. For some reason, teams continue to refuse to cover Mike Evans at times and Chris Godwin, and you get what we saw yesterday, which was a big upset. I mean, double-digit underdog to win by double digits and to score 55 points. You just don't see that very often. Yeah, we got the full Winston. We got the full Marcus Peters, too, because he got burned on that Evans touchdown, then comes back for the pick six. Uh, Jameis Winston, does he get his money? 385 yards and four scores, bad pick six. But Jared Goff really stands out to me because nobody in the NFL has thrown more than his six interceptions. He has seven total turnovers because he coughed up that fumble. 
Ndamukong uh, Su took it back for a touchdown to win that game. He has a very less than mediocre 27th in the league in passer rating. Just signed that massive contract. Can't help but wonder what they're thinking in Dallas, seeing the way Jared Goff played. But I have to ask you about Shaq Barrett because – Look, we all we all recognize Aaron Donald is elite. There is nobody better, nobody better on the defensive side of the football. Shaq Barrett, though, nine sacks, huge interception in this game. Is he your defensive player of the year after the first quarter of the NFL season? Without question. And the only other guy that comes to mind for me is Khalil Mack, who has been outrageous for the Chicago Bears and I think, you know, deserves to be in the conversation as well. And my guess is he would probably get more votes now just because the Bears have played, you know, multiple primetime games and they've been, you know, just more talked about on the defensive side of the ball. Meanwhile, you know, Shaq Barrett's playing defense for a team that gave up over 30 points to Danny Dimes and the Giants offense and now 40 points to the Rams. So he's not part of a unit that's shutting people down. He's just shutting people up that questioned whether or not he'd be able to play at this high of a level. I, I mean, I'm sure the Bucks are trying to get him signed to a new contract right now because he's only on a one-year deal. But the reality is they're going to have to franchise tag him. He is playing as well. Actually, I think he's playing better than any other defensive player in the sport of football it's amazing. Yes, he would be my defensive player of the year so far. Salt on the wounds of this Denver Bronco fan this morning. My team is 0-4. They can do nothing right, and they let Shaq Barrett leave town. And that defense is sputtering, to say the least. By the way, Rams, a short week. They play Thursday night, and Todd Gurley called it called Thursday night games in general the dumbest thing ever. So we'll talk about that on Thursday Morning here on Home and Home. Let's talk about another of the surprising things that happened on Sunday, late Sunday night. Somehow, some way, the Saints win a game without scoring a touchdown. What happened to Kellen Moore, the Wonder Boy offensive coordinator, the Dak Prescott-led offense, and Zeke Elliott did nothing Sunday night? How did this happen? Well, you got to give a lot of credit to the Saints defense. This was surprising to me. It, it really was. I, I felt like the Cowboys would come out and play well. Maybe they sleepwalked a little bit in the first half of that Dolphins game. I really thought they'd come out and play well against the Saints defense. That's okay. I don't, I don't think it's a great Saints defense. Marshawn Lattimore came out, played his best game of the year at cornerback. Uh, Tyron Smith going down certainly hurt the Cowboys. And that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. But they just could never really get in rhythm. They couldn't get in sync. The fumbles by Witten and Zeke obviously cost them quite a bit. But kudos to Dennis Allen, the Saints defensive coordinator, former Raiders head coach, and that Saints defense to only give up 10 points to the Cowboys offense as loaded as they are so impressive. I mean, you know, when Breeze went down, Dave, I'm thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know about the Saints in the NFC South. That's going to be tough, losing Breeze for six games. For them to win at Seattle the way they did, and now 
against the Cowboys, those are two games I thought for sure they would lose without Breeze. And here's what's crazy. They're winning, even though Teddy Bridgewater's not playing very well and doesn't look real good. That's what's really scary and really a feather in the cap of the Saints is they have found a way to beat two three-and-one teams without Bridgewater really doing all that much. Yeah, I thought Teddy Bridgewater has just looked very mediocre. He's the guy I thought he was. He is a game manager that peaked a couple of years ago at 3,200 yards, passing 14 touchdowns. He's going to keep them on the rails by hook or by crook. They won last week over Seattle because of special teams play. And this, an outstanding effort by the defense. And this is why you pay kickers money, man. This is why you pay kickers big money and they will continue to escalate. I know it forced everyone to tears on a Monday, but Will Lutz is a legit weapon. The reporting on Dak Prescott is they're not close to a contract negotiating to a deal uh, between Jerry and Dak. We will go to Dallas, talk to Mike Fisher about that latest reporting, not close to a deal, but let's listen to Dak Prescott talk about expectations for this Cowboys offense and how frustrated he is to have such a talented team and not put up points. I mean, I was expecting to win. Um, and, and knowing this offense, I wasn't expecting to go out there and being held, uh, being held to 10 points. So I'll give that team credit, that defense credit, uh, this atmosphere credit. Uh, and we just never, we never got going and we hurt ourselves all night. Uh, yeah, I mean, surprising. You, you have all the, the talent that we have, um, the execution that we've been able to put on tape, um, the communication, a lot of good things from this offense. Uh, so to be able to go out there and only be held to 10 points, uh, it's frustrating. Um, but it's hard to just to make a rational uh, decision or make to make rational comments right now. But I'm going to have to go back and look at the tape as we all will. As I said, I know there's going to be a lot that we can take from it uh, and learn from it. New Orleans is no doubt going to ride out these games without Drew Brees. They are going to stay alive. Dak Prescott, my question to you is, Ross, they've got Green Bay then at the Jets for an easy one, home to Philadelphia. Was something exposed in Dallas late Sunday night? I don't know if I'm going to go that far yet. I I think, you know, there's a constant ebb and flow to an NFL season, and teams have different game plans each and every week. Some work, some don't. I think what we notice, though, is if you're able – to slow down the running game. And you've got a corner like Marshawn Lattimore that can D up on Amari Cooper. You can slow down this Cowboys offense. I think the biggest thing, though, is the turnovers because both times they were like at midfield moving the ball on those fumbles. So that makes a big difference. I don't don't think the Saints cracked the code, but they might have cracked the confidence a little bit of the Dallas Cowboys, which I think is interesting. Yeah, can't wait to see if there is some playbook that is now out there how to slow down what was an unstoppable Cowboys offense. Speaking of, the Patriots offense looks spectacular through a uh, couple of weeks. Then they go to Buffalo and hit the brakes on that thing. Tom Brady stunk up the joint, 18 of 39. 159 yards, 150 yards, no touchdowns, an interception. They get alive. Somehow they get out of there with a 16 to 10 win. But wow, oh wow, do the New England Patriots look very beatable if it weren't for that all world defense that finally allowed one touchdown. 
first they've allowed since the AFC Championship game last year. How about that New England offense? Were they exposed? We know from all the reporting that Tom Brady is frustrated that Antonio Brown was released by this team. And side note here, AB going to file nine grievances against the league, according to the Adam Schefter reporting. And Tom Brady continues to follow him on social media and like his ridiculous posts, which I find very odd, a little bit disturbing. What was exposed in this New England attack? Well, again, you say that that was a similar question, I think, to, yeah. to, the, to, the, to the Saints-Cowboys. And, man, I, I got to give the Bills a tremendous amount of credit. I think if anything here, Dave, the Patriots really want to lean on the run game. You know, that's kind of a focus. And I don't know how much is, I mean, a lot of it's the Bills. Part of it also, I think, was James Devlin being out at fullback for the Patriots and them having to do things a little bit differently. They're banged up on the offensive line. But I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen that I can recall Tom Brady having three and out, after three and out like that, that was crazy. I mean, that was really the, the Patriots could not run the ball a lick. They never got in rhythm. The bills have an excellent secondary. They were able to confuse Brady. They were able to get pressure on him. It felt like one of the few times that the defense was dictating things to Brady and the Patriots offense, as opposed to the opposite. Again, similar to what I said about the Saints and Cowboys, it's just one week, so I'm not sure that the Bills cracked the code, but they had a heck of a game plan, and it worked. And but that, but to me, Dave, that's what makes that loss so painful for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, imagine being a defensive player or even a fan of the Bills. They could not have done a better job stuffing Brady and that offense. They couldn't have. I mean, they were lights out in that game and yet they still lost I found myself Dave during the game thinking it's almost unfair that the best defense in the NFL is on Tom Brady's team like how does that how is that fair that the best defense in the NFL is on the team with the best quarterback of all time they still won although I gotta tell you Dave if Josh Allen doesn't take some ridiculous sacks and throw some stupid interceptions, the Bills probably would have won that game. I mean, they they had their chances. Not to mention special teams, which really came up huge for the Patriots. I thought New England would win this game by 30. I will confess, I think Josh Allen is just not very good. And when you have a defensive coordinator, someone with a mind like Bill Belichick, they can just simply take your one thing away. I don't see how that team wins a whole lot of football games aside from that brilliant defense, four interceptions in this game, five sacks, outstanding defense. But if Josh Allen is their guy, look, all credit goes to Frank Gore, now over 15,000 yards in his NFL career, a future Hall of Famer. This offense is going to have to figure out some way to generate offense that doesn't rely on Josh Allen because I don't think that guy can quite figure it out. Uh, that's a pretty simple playbook to shut him down. New England gets away with this because look at the schedule. Washington, Giants, 
and Jets. You could not line up three easier football games for an elite team like the Patriots. They will be able to correct that offense in those three games before it gets very tough. Cleveland, Baltimore, and Philadelphia, and Dallas, Houston, Kansas City. So after this three-game stretch, it gets very, very difficult for the New England Patriots. We will see where that goes. Let's turn now to what happened with the Kansas City Chiefs playing at the unbeaten Detroit Lions who just had that one tie. I felt that the Kansas City Chiefs were outplayed. The narrative seems to be, ah, Patrick Mahomes, he does it again. He's a magician. He is a magician. He is extraordinarily talented. They were outplayed in this football game. Officiating decided it. Detroit got robbed a couple of times, one on a touchdown pass that I thought was a TD pass in the corner. It was overturned. And then a touchdown run going into the goal line, fumbled, going in, stretching the ball over, ends up the Chiefs pick it up. Breland goes 100 yards the other way for a touchdown. That is what decided this football game. Patrick Mahomes gets the win without throwing a touchdown pass. Uh, is this Detroit team underrated? They are absolutely underrated. That was extremely impressive yesterday. They really could have, would have, should have won that game. You brought up a bunch of things. They did it without their best defensive player in Darius Slay. You're playing the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and all those receivers, and you don't have Darius big play Slay. For them to still come out and play that well, I was thoroughly impressed. I, I thought that the NFC North would be a three-team race. I now think you have to include the Detroit Lions in there. They used on Johnson offensively as a workhorse, which I like. Matthew Stafford made some good throws. I will disagree with you. They didn't get all the breaks. I will clearly. Five fumbles in the third quarter, by the way. All lost fumbles. I've never seen anything like that. In all my life watching NFL games, five lost fumbles in one quarter is insane. Terrific job, really, by both teams of punching the ball out. It was it was crazy. I didn't think the first Galladay catch was a touchdown. I was okay hmm. with them saying it wasn't. I didn't think he really had the ball till he was laying on the white. I thought it was a ter outstanding job by the officials recognizing that it was a fumble on the field when the Lions got down near the one-inch line and letting them play, not blowing the play dead, Breland picking that up, taking it back the other way for touchdown. You said it, Dave. That was the difference in the game. I mean, that is at least a 10-point swing, probably a 14-point swing, there's a lot of lessons there for the officials about letting these plays go and for the teams about not letting them go. I called a college game Saturday, Dave. Same thing happened. They all thought it was they all thought that it was incomplete pass because the quarterback, Desmond Ritter for Cincinnati, his arm was going forward. The ball had started to come out before that. One kid on the whole field runs over, picks the ball up, goes for a touchdown. For Cincinnati, I think these coaches at every level need to do a better job because the officials are going to be taught to when in doubt, let them play. Don't blow it dead. We'll check it out on the replay. Let it go. 
Well, they're going to do that. The players need to do a much better job of continuing to play the play like Bashad Breeland did. That was the difference in the game. Uh, you know, I feel about the Lions almost the same way about I feel about the Bills, which is they are a lot better than I thought they'd be. They could have, would have, should have won that game. But in the end, they still didn't. They still came up short. Should have won that game had on Johnson not tried to extend the football, which might be another lesson, not tried to extend the football near the goal line. They hang on to it, get some points, even if they get a field goal there. It was the turn in the 100-yard return that really made the difference in that game. And again, Detroit outgained Kansas City. This was Patrick Mahomes' first ever regular season game inside Thoughts were he would light up that Detroit defense. Here's Patrick Mahomes after an escape. In this league, it's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be 50 points and three touchdown wins. You're going to have to find a way to win these games against great teams. And so for us, we know that this win of not playing our best football and finding a way to win is going to help us uh, tremendously as we get to the end of the season. I think the whole message that I had the whole second half to uh, my teammates and in the huddle was just be, be who we are. Uh, I mean, it's not about someone having to do something spectacular. It's not about someone having to do and be more than what the, than themselves. It's about believing in each other and just being who we are and then letting their, everything kind of fall in line when you ever you follow those footsteps. Patrick Mahomes, 315 yards, passing no touchdowns. The Shocker, they remain undefeated. The Patriots remain undefeated. Detroit gets their first loss. And, of course, the Rams get their first loss. That leaves the San Francisco 49ers as the last undefeated standing in the NFC. We'll talk about Baker Mayfield. Maybe he's not overrated. Maybe Freddie Kitchens figured out the play calling in just a minute. But first, hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks' time. With results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is so effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at this exclusive web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Smartest way to motivate Baker Mayfield might be to call him overrated. That's what Rex Ryan did, former head coach, and now ESPN broadcaster called him out. And, you know, Baker Mayfield wasn't so happy about it. Took a shot at Rex Ryan leading up to this game. Here is Rex the morning of the Browns game against a very, we thought, tough Ravens defense. I'm just basing things on fact, what I see. Look, I only have 30 years coaching experience, 20 in the NFL, so I can see where he questioned me. But I'm going to tell you this, Sam. He, Baker Mayfield, better be happy I'm not in the black and purple today on that sideline because he'd be in trouble. But yep, I am going to say we'll this. Baker. Here's one thing I know about Baker Mayfield. 
he, unlike any other quarterback in the National Football League, Sam, he's got two Pro Bowl receivers that he's throwing to. No other team can say that. They got two of them. And, and by the way, this offensive line that's been much maligned, they're, they're ranked second in pass protection. So I don't get it. Where's the correlation? I don't know. He's been sacked the six most times in the NFL. So something's not jiving. Well, why don't we go to the tape and let's see what I'm seeing here. Pat Mahomes is the favorite to win the MVP. Baker Mayfield is second in our league. Why is he overrated? I, I never voted him second in the league to be MVP. <laughs> now, Teddy, you and I sat here, and both of us said, we're all in on the Browns. We did. After we did. watching yes. this, I'm like, come on, man. Don't be the weak link. You're supposed to be Joe Superstar. Go prove it right there. And I am wearing this orange and whatever <laughs> that brown good, color Rick. is. Wearing some Browns orange on a Sunday morning. Kudos to Rex Ryan. Here's how Baker Mayfield responded to that. Did Rex Ryan say that you're overrated as hell? You, you... Absolutely not. Rex Ryan does not get any credit for this week's win. No. <laughs> no credit for this win. They go and put up 40 on the Ravens defense. Baker Mayfield, 342 yards and a touchdown. Of course, it's a lot easier when you feed the ball to Nick Chubb, who is an absolute beast. He goes off for 165 yards, three touchdowns, one of them for 88 yards. I've been saying this the whole time. Give the ball to Nick Chubb. That makes everything better. Surprise here, Ross Tucker, is OBJ, two catches for 20 yards. Did Baker Mayfield prove Rex Ryan and perhaps you wrong, or are you still skeptical? Well, for this week, he absolutely did. And I thought this was probably the most important game of the weekend for every team, the Ravens and the Browns. I mean, the Ravens had a real chance to get a significant lead in the AFC North. And the Browns, can you even imagine what it would be like in Cleveland this week if they had lost that game, fell to one and three, two games behind the Ravens with a head-to-head -head loss. I am so impressed by what the Browns did. Look, it's no secret, I'm still skeptical of both Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield, but for a day, at least, they did a terrific job. Baker Mayfield seems to have a nice rapport with Jarvis Landry. Felt like he had been kind of the forgotten man through the first three weeks of the season for whatever reason. And that offensive line, I'm glad Rex Ryan said it, Dave. They're playing a lot better than people, including myself, anticipated. That was a terrific job of running the football, which led to some issues in Baltimore. Man, you know, part of it was Nick Chubb and breaking tackles and looking awesome. I don't know what Earl Thomas was doing at times, Matthew Judon. I mean, Nick Chubb was making guys look bad, but also there were some cavernous holes. This is not the Ravens defense we're used to over the years at all. I mean, C.J. Mosley's not coming back through that door. Terrell Suggs isn't coming back through that door. And I, evidently Earl Thomas went after Brandon Williams after the game because he was upset and he didn't play because their run defense, I mean, some of those holes were ginormous. This was, I think, there's a lot, there was a lot of games yesterday, right? This was, I think, the most significant result from week four in the NFL 
was the Browns riding the ship and going into Baltimore and getting this win because the Ravens had a chance to really, I don't want to say cement the AFC North, but go a long way in that direction. The Baker Mayfield we saw win last year had more involvement on the running game, which we saw Sunday. And Baker Mayfield broke the rookie record for passing touchdowns largely by mixing it up. He never, ever locked into a receiver. Again, rookie record for touchdown passes, but nobody had more than four. You can't help but think it helped him to not lock into OBJ on Sunday, two catches, 20 yards, spread it around, ended up being locked into Landry because that's who they were leaving open. Uh, Did this allow them to open things up and figure it out moving forward? One would think so, but Cleveland in first place, at least for now, in a very difficult decision. Another significant win happened when the Chicago Bears at home, get a win, one of those three teams to win a home game, over the Minnesota Vikings. They lose a quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. Question is, did they get better losing a starting quarterback in a first-round draft pick, Ross? Well, it certainly doesn't appear as if they got worse. Now, I don't think Chase Daniel can run like Mitch Trubisky. And that is a part of Trubisky's game. Although there's some data going back to after he got a little dinged up late last year that he had not been running as much, which had been a big part of Mitch Trubisky's success in his game. And still, I think, is something that helps that run game go. Just the threat of Trubisky running the football. But from a purely throwing the ball and knowing the offense standpoint, I don't think it's a drop-off at all. In fact, I think it might be an upgrade. I mean, Chase Daniel pretty clearly seems to have a better understanding and feel for the offense than does Mitch Trubisky. Maybe that makes sense. He was with Andy Reid and and Nagy in Kansas City and has that familiarity. So maybe maybe that's normal. But Chase Daniel looked comfortable. He didn't light it up, but he made the throws he had to. And I think he's probably less likely to have the negative play that really costs the Bears. This is going to be interesting to see how long Trubisky's out. And if Daniel plays well and continues to play well, does Trubisky just get his job back right away? This could be a golden opportunity for Chase Daniel because it didn't really feel like there was much of a drop-off at all. Uh, And by the way, let me just say this. Their uniforms, they were amazing. They looked just like, I can't <laughs> like believe I'm getting a second second reference in in the first 36 minutes. They look, that's exactly Princeton's uniforms. They look just like Princeton and they look just as beautiful in them. It was awesome. Hope everybody listening got a chance to see him yesterday. They look great. They played great. Khalil Mack was a machine again. But this also, Dave, was a lot about the Vikings. I mean, they've got to be kidding me. I told people to take the Vikings on my Even Money podcast, which is available on the Radio.com app and Radio.com website. I'm done with Kirk Cousins. I'm done with the Vikings. They are so frustrating to watch. He has no awareness He's got, I think I counted, he has 87 fumbles in the last couple years. 
I'm exaggerating, but maybe even not by that much. It is ridiculous. And now they're getting a little fired up in Minnesota. Now, now you're seeing some things happen in there. I mean, to think that they have those receivers and that quarterback and they can't score more than six points or throw the ball a lick, it's, it's sad. It's really sad. I think they might have the best. I heard Rex Ryan saying, who else can say they've got two Pro Bowl receivers? Guess what? I don't know if Thielen and Stephon Diggs have both been to the Pro Bowl, but I think they might have the best pair of receivers in the league, and the Vikings can't use them. I would argue, yes, every bit as talented as that receiving core, as is the Cleveland Browns. And you're right. Uh, it is really surprising the way he has thrown the ball. Kirk Cousins has an $84 million contract. Adam Thielen, one of those Pro Bowl receivers, two catches, six yards, very clear words about the passing game after a loss to Chicago. We're just as frustrated as every fan in this in this state of Minnesota, uh, every Minnesota Vikings fan. We're, we're, we're more frustrated. Uh, we put everything we have into offseason. Uh, we grind every single day. And then to put a performance like that is is so frustrating. It's, it's unbelievable. But at the end of the day, you got to look yourself in the mirror. Um, you got you got to be better yourself. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back to work on, on Monday. At some point, you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards, um, even with the best running back in the NFL. Um, and that's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to make plays. Um, you have to be able to, um, you know, hit the ball, the deep balls. You have to do that because otherwise it's too easy for teams to just tee up and, and rush the quarterback. So uh, we have to be we have to be able to run the ball and pass the ball. In this league, you cannot be one-dimensional. It's just too easy to defend. The NFL's leading rusher coming in, Dalvin Cook, 14 carries, 35 yards. Will he see a stacked box in every game until Kirk Cousins proves he can win on his own? I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if you can stack the box against Stephon Diggs and Thielen, but I think teams are realizing if they're not going to, if Dalvin Cook's not going to be able to rush for 150 yards, let's let's make Kirk Cousins prove it. His awareness rating on Madden should be zero at this point with some of the things he does. I mean, it's just, it is mind-boggling. And I thought he was an accurate guy. Gets rid of the ball quickly. There's no question he has been disappointing so far in his time in Minnesota. He did have Thielen open deep, wasn't able to hit him. But they got to figure it out because they've got way, way, way too much talent to put up six points against whatever defense they're going against. All right, lastly, before we get to Andrew Filipponi of the fan in Pittsburgh to talk about the thrilling Monday nighter between the Steelers and the Bengals, want to ask you about Danny Dimes' performance Sunday. They win easily against a miserable Washington Redskins football team. Danny Dimes was solid, not spectacular. He did throw a, a touchdown. He did throw two interceptions. Dwayne Haskins ended up being the story of the game. Comes on a relief of Case Keenum, and it went from bad to worse, Ross. It really did. Um, it, I mean, I'm surprised that Jay Gruden made that move when he did. This is another bad pick for me on Even Money Podcast. You're killing me here, Dave. Uh, these were my two worst picks. Now, I didn't know Terry McLaurin and Brandon Sheriff would be out, so that hurt the Redskins. But again, I mean, three points. I would have stuck with Case Keenum, 
Dwayne Haskins looked way over his head. Uh, you know, Keenum at least scored 15 points against the Bears on Monday night. And he, I know he missed a couple of throws to Trey Quinn early in the game. I thought it was too early of a yank by Jay Gruden, and it cost the Redskins any chance to win that game. Daniel Jones wasn't awesome. He had a couple picks, but he was definitely better than Eli had been. Definitely good enough. The biggest shock of this game was just that atrocious Giants defense holding the Redskins to less than 200 yards and three points. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And here we are. It's amazing. All the quarterbacks that are that have won a couple games in a row. Daniel Jones, Gardner Minshew, Teddy Bridgewater, Kyle Allen. We'll get to more of the games as we move along. It's just yep. stunning. It is indeed, Wayne. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, 9 of 17, three interceptions. Giants fans that were pissed when they took Daniel Jones and you wanted Haskins. Yeah, you can exhale. You can thank the Giants management for that decision. Looked like an awfully good one. Gallman goes over 100 yards for the Giants. Two touchdowns. Looks like he will do a sufficient job in replacing Saquon Barkley and those skins are in deep, deep shit. They are off to their worst start since 2001. They are now 0-4 and can't imagine where they find a win. It is going to be a long road ahead. A lot of games to get to, to Ross's point. We'll talk about Carolina and also the backstory with Cam Newton. Is his vegan diet actually impacting his recovery? And can Deshaun Watson ever, ever stay upright? It is not clear if the Houston Texans are going to keep that man alive up next we're going to talk about a monday nighter that uh well let's just say the networks probably didn't plan for a couple of winless teams steelers and bengals but you know andrew filipponi from the fan in pittsburgh he's going to tell us what surprised him most from a sudden sunday uh suddenly stunning sunday excuse me uh my words i'm stunned by what happened we'll get to andrew after a real quick break you know, sometimes the league gets it right in primetime matchups, and other times, not so much. That's the case tonight. Steelers, Bengals, Monday Night Football, two winless teams getting it on. Can't wait for that one. Might have to go to bed early, but not Ross Tucker. He never misses a football game. Let's talk about it with Andrew Filipponi. Follow him at the Pony P-O-N-I Express joins us from the fan in Pittsburgh. Good to see you, my man, on a football Monday. Before we get into that thrilling matchup, what surprised you most about a stunning Sunday in the NFL? Uh, it's easily that the Bucks went into L.A. and scored 55 points to win that game. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Bruce Arians. I actually know a few guys that are on that coaching staff who are former Steelers and you know, I thought when Bruce took that job after one kind of boring year in the CBS broadcast booth that he was just taking a big fat check to go down there to Tampa, uh, he's looking like a quarterback whisperer with Jameis the last two weeks. It's one thing to do it against the New York Giants, but to put up those kind of points on the road in L.A., I thought the Bucks would be competitive in that game, guys. I didn't think they'd hang a 55-burger on the Rams. Yeah, I think everybody was stunned by that, Pony. I, I want to get into the Ravens and the Browns game. Obviously, a game that you covering the Steelers living in Pittsburgh had a lot of interest in. 
What, like going into the game, uh, I guess, do you, do you have a rooting interest? Are you hoping that the Ravens lose so that the Steelers are only, I guess, one game behind after they win tonight, which is kind of crazy to say? Or did you just watch it to see what those teams looked like and what was your big takeaway? Well, I wanted the Browns to lose just because I think it's easier to win a two-horse race than one that's wide open. And the Browns, I think they're a dangerous team uh, when they have confidence in themselves. So we know what the schedule is for them in the first half of the season. I thought if they lost that game yesterday, things could get really ugly between the coach, the offensive coordinator, Baker Mayfield, the fans. Uh, I guess it still remains to be seen how Odell Beckham Jr. will respond to pretty much being phased out of the offense yesterday. But um, they looked like the Browns that many people expected and predicted they would be, not me, uh, before the season. And for them to have that kind of defensive performance with their two starting corners inactive, I think from where I sit, uh, Steelers fans should be concerned about that. Uh, they're not because they never take the Browns seriously here. Uh, but on paper, there's no, without Ben, there's no comparing the two teams. The Browns on paper are much better than the Steelers right now. So even now you're saying your Pittsburgh listeners and that city as a whole does not take Cleveland seriously still? No, no. I think what I'll run into today, Dave, is that the Steelers fans will talk themselves into this division being there for the taking. There is an unbelievable amount. It makes no <laughs> sense. There is a ridiculous amount of confidence in Mason Rudolph. I don't know why. I don't see it at all. I think he's a career backup quarterback. I think he'll be a Josh McCown or a Colt McCoy in this league. I don't see him as a franchise quarterback. But the team said they put a first-round grade on him. So the fans have bought into the propaganda. They believe he's going to be a really good quarterback. Um, I don't think that fans here believe that Lamar Jackson is a pocket quarterback who can get the job done. And they always feel like the Browns will invent a new way to lose. So all it's going to take is the Steelers to win this game tonight. And fans are going to start doing funny math. Oh, we can get to nine and seven. Oh, maybe eight and eight wins the division and so on and so forth. That's what, I, that's what I wanted to follow up on, Andrew, was what is the fan sentiment right now? Even take away the Browns-Ravens game. But what, what are the fans thinking about this season, this franchise? It sounds like a lot of them believe in Rudolph and still think that they can salvage the season. Is there not anybody that thinks it's a lost cause and is talking the other way? Like, who are we getting rid of after the year in terms of Mike Tomlin and maybe Keith Butler? Uh, I think fans do that for sure. The second part, uh, I think they feel like the Steelers, if, they, if they're going to make the playoffs, are going to win in spite of those two coaches that you just mentioned. They get zero credit. Uh, I don't think Butler, I don't know what to give him credit for. He's basically been neutered castrated by Mike Tomlin. It's Tomlin who takes over big game calls when it's a critical third down or it's in the fourth quarter. It's Tomlin who's calling the shots. I think ultimately Mike's responsible for their failings on defense because he has a big hand in the draft and also the trades and free agent signings they've made. 
which haven't worked out so far. Although I will point out Fitzpatrick, the safety they brought in was really good in the loss to San Francisco last week. But the phenomenon that's going on here at 0-3 is unlike anything I've ever seen before, guys. There is an insane amount of black and gold colored glasses by which fans are viewing this team. I honestly cannot put my finger on why that is. I think it might be a tacit um, acknowledgement that a lot of fans here are, for for whatever reason, ready to move on from the Roethlisberger era, which I just don't get. Um, I don't understand why there would be a rush to get rid of the, one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in franchise history. Some tough love from Andrew Filipponi, the fan in Pittsburgh. All right, so there's always this. You're playing a team you've beat 11 of 12 times, eight straight, and the Bengals are 6-15 and 15 in prime time in the Andy Dalton era, and you're only giving three points. Is this an opportunity for gamblers to make back some money, or are you even pumping the brakes on that? No, I, I would lay the points with the Steelers. And I know underdogs barked a lot on Sunday. There were so many upset wins. Um, and I don't think that there is a big difference, to be honest with you, between these two teams on paper. I think Dalton and Rudolph is a, is a wash at best, if not a slight edge for the Bengals. Um, but I think the Steelers have more invested in this game. The reason why I like Pittsburgh to win and I play a small amount of points is because I think that they've got so much wrapped up in this game and in this season. If they lose this game at 0-4, they're a dead man walking. The season's over. You might as well start selling parts off between now and the trade deadline. They're starting nine first-round picks on defense. They still have a Pro Bowl running back. They've got three Pro Bowlers on the offensive line. If the Steelers can't run the ball in the Bengals, then that's a lost cause because we've seen what the Cincinnati defense has been the last two weeks against guys like Frank Gore and Matt Breida. So I anticipate the Steelers will win. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty. I don't think that the betters on this Pittsburgh side tonight can kick up their feet and relax and go to bed maybe at halftime. I think they'll have to sweat it out. But ultimately, I think the Steelers win the game by probably a touchdown. What do you make, Andrew, of... All the moves the Steelers have been making recently, whether it's trading up for Devin Bush, trading for Minka Fitzpatrick, even a smaller one last week, trading a fifth-round pick for Nick Vanette, a tight end. These are very uncharacteristic yep. and unsteeler-like moves. What's your read on that? Do you think Colbert thinks that Perhaps he's on the hot seat and he's trying to figure out a way to win this year? I don't think he's on the hot seat, Ross. I'm just not convinced he's going to be with the Steelers next year. There's a ton of speculation here that David Tepper, who was a minority owner for the Steelers the last few years and now is the majority owner of the Carolina Panthers, is going to bring Kevin Colbert to Charlotte next year, give him a massive contract, uh, pay him way more. The Steelers, this is not a widely known fact, but they do not pay their general manager the going rate. He's one of the best bargains probably on the Steelers' entire, entire roster, Kevin Colbert. And I think he's trying to go out with a bang. I don't think he wants to wave a white flag or throw the towel in on the season. I don't think Kevin Colbert will be the Steelers' GM in 2020. He'll either be in Carolina, like I mentioned, 
or I think you'll sit a year out and kind of rest and retire and weigh his options. Um, and then I think as far as Mike Tomlin is concerned, he might be feeling the heat for the first time in his career. The Steelers gave him a one-year extension with a team option for a second year. That was unprecedented. That was a sign that the Steelers weren't overly pleased with the job that Tomlin's doing, and why should they be? They haven't won a playoff game in two years. They've been a massive underachiever the last two seasons plus now. And so I think Tomlin is trying to do everything in his power to salvage the season. They're extremely, to use a poker metaphor, pot committed on this year. And I think that's a mistake. I like Minka Fitzpatrick a lot. I would not have traded a first-round pick to get him. In fact, I've got it on pretty good authority that the Dolphins had five offers for him, all included first-round picks, but they took the Steelers package because they believed of the five teams the Steelers were going to have the worst season. Ouch. And that looks like a very fortuitous gamble that might pay off for Miami. Usually this... Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game has a lot of hatred to it in a large part because a guy who is now an Oakland Raider, Vontez Perfect. I want to ask you about him. I want Ross to react afterwards. Vontez Perfect, another nasty, ugly hit on Sunday in a big Raiders win over the Colts. What should the league do about this guy? He has made a career of headhunting more than $4 million in fines and lost salary. Yeah, Dave, I think he needs to be disciplined for the action itself and not the result. Meaning, just because a guy gets up from the hit or only misses a week of football doesn't mean that Burfick should get off with a slap on the wrist. I think you need to punish what he was trying to do uh, rather than the the ultimate result of the play. I think Vontez Burfick at this point, it is insane to me that the players' union continues to want to defend or stick up for this guy, appeal a situation. I think he is uh, a menace to the game. I think that other players need to speak out more about the danger that he causes when he's out there. I think he plays, if this was 1973, I think he'd probably be one of the most popular players. Actually, he probably wouldn't stick out more from, from most guys. I think he would just be another linebacker in the NFL, but we know... It's not 50 years ago. There is a totally different set of rules, and yet Burfick doesn't seem like he can find it within himself to uh, catch up with the times and evolve. So I give him a very stiff punishment, whether it's half a season. I don't think that that's out of the question. They probably won't do it, but they're never going to curb behavior if it's just fines and two or three game suspensions. He is dangerous out there on that football field. It is stunning. It should be interesting. The next couple of days, Ian Rappaport reporting he will be suspended. How steep will the fines, will the suspension be? Andrew Filipponi, follow him, the Pony, P-O-N-I Express on Twitter from the fan in Pittsburgh. Enjoy tonight's game. Appreciate your time. I probably won't, but I love you guys. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, hopefully you made us some money, Andrew says, to take the Steelers giving three points. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.